Welcome to Follow Your Kind Podcast, a show where we explore the meaning of kindness and how we can express it in our daily lives. My name is Christina and I'm your host. All right. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Follow Your Kind Podcast, where I interview my personal heroes. Uh, in the world of plant-based nutrition, activism, social entrepreneurship, and all the other great um, areas where people are able to uh, act on their passion, express their values of kindness, and just uh, bring more good things into this world. And today we're continuing with a chapter of the Peapod and my heroes from the um, conference, uh, the Plant-Based Prevention of Disease Conference, uh, where I met many amazing people. Uh, and one of them is Dr. Per- Pamela Ferguson, or Pamela. And I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Hi, Pamela. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for making the time. I'm very excited about the conversation today. Uh, so just a, a quick overview, a very concise of all the amazing work that uh, you do, Pamela. Uh, Pamela is the registered dietitian and uh, she also has um, a PhD in nutrition science and she has been featured on many podcasts. Uh, I think you've been twice on No Meat Athlete, also Food Heals podcast, Our Hands House podcast. I've met you in person uh, in, at the Plant-Based Prevention of Disease, but I've heard your interview before before uh, on the Thought for Food podcast, which is another amazing mm-hmm. podcast I love. And I've been following, following you ever since. And you've just been such an inspiration of making plant-based nutrition easy, fun. Your posts on Instagram always look delicious. And it's just you just have such a positive approach with everything that you do. Thank you. That's lovely to hear. So it's definitely a pleasure and a true honor to have you on the show today. So I thought we could start uh, with uh, me allowing you to maybe give us a brief background of where you're coming from, um, how you found uh, the plant-based nutrition for yourself, and how you uh, stepped on the path of doing the work that you do today. Sure. Well, I came from, I was a vegetarian in college actually and uh, remained vegetarian for a long time throughout my um, 20s and 30s and um, you know I really wasn't connected though to the ethical reasons for being vegetarian um, I I was interested in the environment I knew that um, eating meat was not good for the environment um, and that was a lot of but I really didn't connect to community around veganism or vegetarianism. Um, and I didn't really make uh, the connection, as I said, to the animals. Um, and I did my PhD in severe malnutrition and HIV in children. Um, and I was really focused on that for a long time. And then when I returned to Toronto, um, where I'm from, I really started looking, I was wanting to open a private practice in Toronto. And I started looking at the situation for nutrition in North America, 
Canadians, um, Americans, and what are the common diseases that people are facing. And I was just really struck. We really need to make a shift to a plant-based diet for environmental reasons, for health reasons. And then I quickly also um, saw the importance of the ethical reasons too. Um, so then I made the shift to being vegan and uh, have not looked back. So um, I really feel so strongly that um, we need to make a shift to a plant-based diet. If people you know, aren't ready to become fully plant-based, then uh, they can start along that path. And uh, you know, in my own experience, I wasn't sure how hard it would be. I was like, well, I'll try this for 30 days to be completely vegan. You know, I've been vegetarian for a long time. I thought, you know, what will it be like not having cheese, not having eggs? Honestly, it was uh, no problem. I just was like stunned at how easy it was and how great I felt. So, um, yeah, I would just say that that's my approach is that um, just try it and, and see and see what happens. And you'll probably be blown away by how great it is. That is so great. And how long ago was it that you made the transition? Uh, I guess about five or six years ago now. Wow. And what was the uh, what was what were the things that stood out to you the most? Maybe about how you felt um, after the transition, or some of the most memorable either challenges or benefits that you experienced. You know, I've always been quite a healthy person, so I can't say that I was unhealthy before and had a dramatic. Um, health change in becoming vegan. I was always pretty healthy and I always had quite a bit of energy and felt good. Um, one thing that I would say, um, I did used to get quite dry skin, sometimes a bit of eczema. Um, and I just thought that that was um, unavoidable. And then when I gave up dairy, that went away. So um, that was something to connect to my diet. And then when I made the switch, then um, that change happened. So that was wonderful to see. But, you know, other than that, I would say that um, it's not that I've noticed a dramatic change, but I just feel so great about what I eat now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is a great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, I was hoping maybe then we can uh, jump right in and some of the uh, topics that uh, come up the most. I think that I get a lot of questions about as well in terms of uh, concerns that uh, some people may have about uh, sufficiency of plant-based nutrition to nurture our bodies to the best of its ability. Um, and I know as, as a, you as an expert uh, in, in the field of plant-based nutrition, given your degrees and as well as your experience of working with patients and speaking at the conferences and, and just teaching people how to do it uh, based on the evidence. I was hoping maybe you can speak about um, some of the concerns that sometimes you hear from women who are either pregnant or nursing and are concerned about um, if plant-based vegan diet is sufficient enough for providing uh, them all the nutrients they need. Yeah, you know, a lot of times vegan women um, are already very knowledgeable about uh, what it takes to be pregnant, breastfeeding, raising healthy infants, um, vegan. But uh, sometimes they're getting pressure from family members who may think, oh, you know, um, you're not getting enough protein, you're not getting enough iron, uh, what about um, calcium? these kinds of worries that family members have and they worry about the development of their child, um, their grandchild perhaps, or their niece or nephew. Um, and even other health professionals can sometimes um, 
not have a lot of knowledge about a, a vegan diet and they may, um, you know, have concerns about the health of a vegan diet for a pregnant or nursing mother. Um, the thing is that if a woman is eating a mostly whole foods diet, she's getting enough calories um, and she's eating a variety of foods um, on a vegan diet, then she will um, be meeting uh, most all of her nutrient needs that way. She will need to be a little more conscientious around protein. She's building a little body um, when she's pregnant. And so she will need to be a bit more conscientious around protein, maybe paying attention to make sure that she's getting good protein sources at at least two meals of the day. Um, but, uh, you know, it's of course important that all pregnant women take a prenatal vitamin and you can find vegan prenatal vitamins. Um, and that will help with some specific nutrients like dine or zinc, um, B12 that are all very important in development of a healthy uh, fetus and um, the you know the prenatal vitamin along with a healthy varied whole food plant based uh, diet will be wonderful for raising a healthy baby. Um, one nutrient that sometimes people aren't aware of um, is thinking about omega threes, and I would recommend that pregnant women and nursing women. Um, take a source of DHA, and you can get vegan DHA, um, and it's algae-based. And so think about that. If your prenatal does not include DHA, then uh, get, an, get a, a DHA supplement um, for yourself. And then uh, your child can also have uh, vitamin D and DHA and B12. Mm -hmm. And would you give us some examples about good sources of protein that uh, you mentioned are important? Yes. So um, lentils and beans are wonderful sources of protein. Um, tofu, a lot of people are afraid of soy. They don't need to be afraid of soy. So tofu, tempeh, edamame, soy milk, those are great sources of um, protein for women and for children. Um, and also nuts and seeds are good sources of protein. Mm -hmm. So all of these are good options to make sure that um, a mom is getting enough uh, protein to help with her pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And uh, have you ever had, uh, have you ever worked with women who uh, maybe decided to make a transition from uh, the diet that had some, some animal products to vegan diet while being pregnant? And are there any downsides to that? There are no downsides to that at all. I definitely have with women who are doing that. Maybe they've suddenly become more aware of nutrition or they're trying to be very health conscious um, during pregnancy. And some women become very aware of the ethical issues um, around, for example, um, the dairy industry while being pregnant. They're very aware of the, that maternal instinct and uh, they are thinking about the dairy industry and mother cows and what happens um, to uh, baby cows in the dairy industry. So some women for ethical reasons or for health reasons do decide to transition to a vegan diet while pregnant. And there are no health risks with that at all, apart from the fact that if a vegan diet is new, um, people may need some extra support with coming up with good recipes, 
um, and also making sure that they're eating a, enough of a variety of foods. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, uh, as long as they're able to do that, there's no risk at all to transitioning to a vegan diet during pregnancy. Of course, working uh, you know, with your healthcare professional, it's always a good idea to get blood work done to make sure that your iron um, levels are good, that you have um, good levels of B12, um, all of these things. It's good to work with your healthcare professional. And if you can find um, a vegan dietitian to work with, then that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. That is such a good point. You know, I've never thought about uh, becoming aware about the, the kind of the, with maternal instincts becoming stronger uh, when women are pregnant and becoming more aware about the cruelty that's happening within dairy industry. It makes so much sense right now, but I've never thought of, of, of that kind of resurfacing in that specific period of time for women. This is a really good point. We do become more sensitive once we are ourselves are coming through something very similar. Absolutely. I think it's, um, you know, it's something that uh, when people become pregnant and become mothers, um, you know, or, or fathers, um, they're suddenly aware of those bonds of love for the first time. And it can be really life changing. And it get, it's a time when people really think about their ethics and the kind of parent they want to be in the kind of world they want to raise their child in. So it's a natural time to reflect and make changes and to try to be the best person you can be. Hmm. That is so beautiful. There is a, a local uh, farm animal sanctuary, full circle farm sanctuary that is uh, not far from Atlanta. And I remember one of the first times I visited, it's so beautiful. They have almost 200 different animals rescued from different farms. And one of the uh, animals there that was one of the most recent rescued one at that point when I visited, it was this cow who I think was either pregnant or, yeah, I think, I think she was pregnant when they rescued her. And uh, uh, she was so um, harmed before and, and so scarred emotionally by, uh, be, by babies being taken away from her in, in kind of her previous environment that uh, when she was given birth to this um, little baby calf that she was pregnant with, it's a pretty big territory of, of the sanctuary. The workers there were telling me the story that she walked so, so far away, as far away in the forest as she could. And she gave mm -hmm. birth to the baby calf and she wouldn't, she wouldn't let anybody close to it for months until she was actually finally able to build up enough trust to, to kind right. of come back and, and re-socialize. So we underestimate so much the, the bonds and the, the, just the inten intensity of emotions that these animals experience. And it's so great that there, there are some times when we're becoming more sensitive to them, like having a child of, of your own. That's right. Exactly. You, you are absolutely right. I think um, for people maybe who haven't had the experience of spending time um, with farm animals, um, animals who are used in the agriculture industry, uh, then they may not understand the depth and range of emotions that they can feel. So um, I think it's great to hear stories like that um, and to better understand um, the fact that, um, you know, absolutely pigs, uh, cows, sheep, um, all of these animals can have maternal instincts and feelings um, and we should be thinking about that and respecting that. Yeah.
That is so true. Okay, well, how about uh, with uh, plant-based nutrition and little kids? First of all, can small children be healthy on plant-based diet alone, vegan plant-based diet? And then secondly, what do you tell people who say, well, kids are picky, I just can't get to eat them, I just can't get them to eat these vegetables? Well, absolutely. So first of all, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics in the States and also Dietitians of Canada have said that a well-planned vegetarian or vegan diet can be healthy for um, all stages of life, including pregnancy, infancy, um, early childhood, uh, older adulthood, um, a well-planned vegan diet can meet our needs at any of those stages. So uh, it's really about the quality of the diet that we're offering. And, you know, we definitely can do that on a vegan diet. So yes, definitely small children can be healthy <laughs> being vegan. Um, and then the next step is to uh, think about encouraging your kids to enjoy a range of um, foods. Um, I always say that food battles are actually about control. And so if your children can be involved in some decision-making around food, maybe if they can help in the kitchen sometimes and be preparing food, then that's wonderful. Um, then, you know, they can um, uh, feel more in control of the decision and therefore probably be more interested in putting some of those healthy fruits and vegetables in their bellies. Um, I love working with smoothies with kids. Smoothies can be a really nice introduction to fruits and vegetables. Um, you can get those nice bright colors and children can choose. Do they want a berry smoothie or a banana smoothie? And, um, you know, then work with adding in some greens maybe and come up with some fun names for the smoothie. You know, if it's maybe a banana peanut butter and almond milk smoothie, then it could be like a chunky monkey smoothie or a green Martian smoothie when you add in some kale or some spinach. And start with more gentle flavors. You know, baby spinach is a great green to start with. It doesn't provide a lot of flavor or texture to a smoothie. So it's a nice, easy one to start with with kids. Hmm. That is great. And of course, you have lots of experience with that. With uh, You have four kids, right? I do have four children, yes. And what are the ages? My oldest is 15, and then 13, 12, and 8. That is a handful. <laughs> it is a handful. It is a handful. <laughs> You're <handfuls>. right. <laughs> yes. But I think you also have, um, I mean, you, you bring up such a good point about uh, making, uh, including uh, children in the decision making, but then also something else that I see, especially from your Instagram, is not not overthinking it too much and just uh, kind of doing simple foods, but in a really fun, uh, funky way. So I always see, um, I don't know, some of the toast, the, some of the pictures of just a simple peanut butter toast with some fruit that you that you post. But the way you arrange the fruit or uh, you know arrange the the, the things on, or things on the plate are always so much fun, and the colors are bright and they make sense or make some kind of shape or figure. So could you talk about some of the other tricks that you use in order to make these kinds of foods fun for children, maybe from your personal experience or uh, from working with patients, I mean, uh, clients? Absolutely. So, you know, I think that all of us like our food to, um, to look 
pretty or look attractive or look fun. Um, you know, you can make faces out of um, cut up fruits, for example, um, and making, you know, a toast and you could put cute um, shapes on the toast. Um, these are all fun ways to uh, be creative and get your kids into the kitchen and get them involved. Show them um, what the fruit or vegetable looks like and smells like. Like, if, for example, you know, if you're introducing eggplant for the first time to your kids, don't wait until it's already um, being cooked and it's at the table. If possible, even bring them to the shop or to the farmer's market. Show them what it looks like. Um, maybe show them, if you can't take them to a farm, then show them a picture online of how it is um, grown, how the vegetable is grown so the kids understand that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they can have a chance to feel it. They can see what it looks like when you slice it. Explain things about the vegetable because part of it can be fear of just something being unfamiliar, right? Um, and if kids are not liking something um, that they eat, we really try to, in our household, use vocabulary like, this is me, I'm trying this for the first time, I'm not sure about this. And then I'll, rather than saying, ooh, this is gross, I don't like this, this is disgusting, we try not to use those <laughs> words. Um, and I really think that improving your kids' food literacy and teaching them so that you can say, what is it about the food that you're not sure about? Is it the taste? Is it the texture? Is it the appearance? All those kinds of questions so that the kids can say, actually, it's the texture. It tastes kind of slimy to me. So then, you know, you can talk about, well, maybe next time we'll roast it and it will have a different texture, that kind of thing. So that, um, and maybe you can help me in the kitchen next time so that we get it right. Maybe your kid will say that they think the food is too sweet or too salty or um, just too spicy. So, you know, say, you can come and be my chef with me in the kitchen next time we make this dish so that you can help me get the flavor exactly right um, when we bring it to the table. I love it. This is such a wise approach about the vocabulary and uh, also uh, kind of getting down to the bottom of what it is exactly that kids don't like or maybe not sure about. Because I think, as you said, a lot of times we just uh, uh, kind of get to push it, push the question off the table by just bucketing in the category bad or just not tasty. But if you actually explore it uh, a little bit deeper into it, maybe there is an underlying something that, that prevents uh, somebody not liking things from the first time. But then just by exploring it, I think it, it opens up uh, uh, the space for, for being a little bit more adventurous with food next time. This is such a great approach. Thank you. That's so nice. <laughs> um, okay. Well, and how do you, I'm curious, uh, what is your uh, view as for children, that, for example, your kids going back to school or maybe going to the parties and being exposed to the outside world that is not always uh, as, as healthy or um, vegan um, friendly as we would like it to be? What, what, is, what is your either policy or philosophy around that? Sorry, can you just repeat that? I'm sorry, I probably confused you with my question. So when kids go to the parties um, and maybe there mm -hmm. is a cake that's there that, that's not vegan or if they're going to, uh, to school and they're talking about somebody else had this for lunch or maybe like trying, trying things that are not vegan, um, do you have, uh, how do you talk to your kids about that? So I always say that we're raising 
our kids on um, a plant-based diet. And we're also talking with them all the time about vegan values. Um, we only um, eat plant-based food at home. So the kids are getting all vegan food at home. But we believe that our children should be making their own decisions about their own veganism, especially as they're growing, they're becoming teenagers. And so I would never say personally, I would never say to my children, Oh, you can't try that cake or whatever, you know, my kids do earn some spending money. And when they go out with their friends, they're going to make their own decisions around food. And, um, I think, personally, uh, that my comfort level is that that will, um, help them to feel freer, uh, to be able to decide, hopefully to be vegan. Of course, that's Mm -hmm. what I would wish for them. Um, but I would be concerned that if I would to say to our kids that they must always choose vegan food, that they may possibly rebel against that and therefore not want to eat vegan food at all. Um, I know some families feel differently and uh, they make a decision as a family together that uh, all of the the children must eat vegan food. And for some families that works great, um, but that's not the way that we've been raising our kids. Mm -hmm. Now that, that, that I can definitely see how it's um, reasonable and wise as well to kind of allowing children to make the space and empowering them to make this, to, to make their own decisions. So that when, instead of feeling like they've been forced to do something, they kind of act from their own motivations. That's right. And alongside that, of course, sharing with children, the reasons that you are vegan, like share with your children, your own motivations for being vegan. And, you know, if you have ethical um, motivations. Children often feel very connected to animals and feel very um, empathetic for animal suffering. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, talking about that with your kids, kids also uh, generally really care a lot about the environment. Um, so connecting to those reasons for children also that they're helping, you know, to uh, improve the environment, um, help the planet by eating um, a plant-based diet. That, that also can be motivating for kids. Kids aren't usually very motivated by the fact that something's healthy. You know, <laughs> if you tell kids, oh, this is good for you, you should eat it. They may, some kids may be very motivated by that, but I think a lot of kids don't really care. They want it to taste good. And if it can be good for the animals and good for the planet too, that's even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about crafting that message. <laughs> that's um, right. Okay, well, how about uh, people who say, plant-based or vegan diet is too expensive. It's only for the rich people, especially if you have a large family, there is no way I can possibly feed my family um, in, in, in rather inexpensive way uh, in a healthy and vegan uh, plant-based diet. Well, we feed our family on about $100 a week. Um, and, and so I think that that is... Um, you know, something that you can do. We rely a lot on using things like um, potatoes and sweet potatoes and lentils and beans. We cook our beans from dry. We have a pressure cooker um, and that's an investment that has, and I know that not everyone is able to take the time to cook beans from dry. I know that not everyone has the money upfront to buy something like a pressure cooker. I understand that there's privilege embedded in being able to feed our family on um, $100 a week. But, uh, you know, relying on a lot of 
beans, greens, um, and grains, and uh, potatoes, um, sweet potatoes, uh, root vegetables. These are very inexpensive and they're so versatile. And then you can also sometimes have a treat like order vegan pizza or um, you know have some vegan ice cream. Those things are a treat, but the bulk of the meals um, can come from um, root vegetables, uh, grains, greens, and um, beans. And if you do that, then there are so many options like um, you know hummus and uh, and um, you know uh, curry and soups and stews and chili. Um, there are so many wonderful options of foods that you can eat and that are so healthy and so easy to prepare. Mm-hmm. And I have lots of recipes definitely on my website and uh, Instagram. And if you're looking, if you feel like that, that seems impossible, definitely I have um, options that you can look at. Yes, I was just about to put the plug in because I was looking at your <laughs> website and the blog earlier and your, all of your recipes and all of your recipe ideas just look, look amazing and delicious and the curry soup and all of the sandwiches and even have things like uh, biscuits out there and muffins. It all looks amazing and very tempting. <laughs> Thank you. That's so nice. Um, okay. Well, I also know that uh, you not uh, just study plant-based nutrition and uh, are well well spoken uh, in it and educate your clients uh, and and just a population uh, in how um, what's the best way to transition and how to apply it in your daily life. But you're also uh, yourself. Uh, able to achieve quiet uh, the athletic performance on plant plant based nutrition, and I know that you've ran uh, several half marathons, a marathon, and I think a few ultras as well. Um, That's right. Yeah. So I would really love to explore that with you a little bit as well, and maybe you could talk about your experience of uh, doing all this endurance training and runs on plant based diet and uh, how it worked out for you. Yeah. Well, it was a great adventure. I'm not. Um, actually running any ultras or marathons or half marathons at the moment. I've taken a bit of a change in the type of exercise that I do Mm -hmm. um, and focusing a little more time on family, but I had a really fun few years of doing a lot of races and um, it was such a fun adventure and I found I had lots of energy on a plant-based diet. Um, It was no problem coming up with, um, you know, enough, uh, food to fuel my training. And um, yeah, it's, it's really, there's such a great community of people who are plant-based athletes. Um, if you're interested in learning more, Rich Roll is a great podcast to listen yes. to. Um, and also No Meat Athlete is another great podcast that I would recommend. Um, but, you know, there's a huge community of high-performing um, vegan athletes, and they're very inspiring. And I certainly didn't re- reach those kinds of um, performance levels. You know, I was uh, definitely having a wonderful time, and um, I did just fine. But I was never winning the races. But you know, I don't think that that's necessarily the most important thing. I think getting out there and participating and being part of these events. And being able to do all of that while working and raising kids and eating a vegan diet, that was all really exciting for me. 
Uh, are there any suggestions that you have uh, for somebody who is uh, on vegan plant-based diet and doing some endurance training uh, versus somebody who is not uh, doing the endurance training? Are there different proportions and nutrients they should look uh, at or maybe some specific food groups that they should focus, focus their attention on to make sure they're getting enough of a, of a certain nutrient? If you're doing very high volume training, then you should eat a little higher protein diet um, than someone who is more sedentary. So maybe if you're doing very high mileage, maybe up to one gram um, of protein per kilogram of body weight per day, um, rather than others who can be quite comfortable with 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. So a bit of an increased um, amount of protein. And again, the same uh, as in pregnancy or in breastfeeding, we can find those things through greens and beans and tofu and edamame. Those are uh, nuts and seeds. Those are all great sources of protein. We don't necessarily need to be looking to protein bars and protein shakes and things like that. Some people love those things, but we definitely can get everything we need from whole foods. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing I would say is for women uh, who are runners in particular, some women who are runners um, may uh, become iron deficient. And this is not only for vegetarian or vegan women. This is for, um, for all long distance female runners. Um, uh, iron deficiency is um, a high, higher percentage Uh, in those who are runners than in the general population. Um, So being conscientious to make sure we're eating iron-rich foods, um, including, again, greens and beans, um, but then also um, we can include uh, um, molasses. You could uh, have a spoonful of molasses uh, in your tea, for example. Um, You could uh, look at taking a... Uh, on iron supplement if your iron is consistently low because you will feel very tired in your training if you're iron deficient. Mm-hmm. And are there any uh, supplement, any specific kinds of supplements that you suggest that people should look into? Well, you do have to be a bit cautious with an iron supplement because um, iron supplements can um, unfortunately be sourced from animal products. So um, make sure that your iron supplement is vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you'll be fine. I, I find some people enjoy taking a liquid iron supplement rather than a, um, pill. Um, make sure that you take one that is gentle on your stomach. If you have any, um, stomach issues with taking iron, some people do get an upset stomach. So maybe take it with food. Don't take it before bed. Um, and perhaps try a liquid, um, supplement that can be a bit more gentle on the stomach. Mm-hmm. That is great advice. Um, Pamela, I'm interested to know, so I know that we've met at the uh, prevention, uh, p- prevent, what? Plant-based prevention of disease conference, yes. Uh-huh. It's a lot of P's. It is. Uh, plant-based <laughs> uh, prevention. Yeah. Yes, uh, conference. And I, I know uh, that you are uh, working closely with uh, many organizations uh, in the United States as, as well as um, uh, Canada, and I'm curious, uh, what what is your um, kind of what what inspires you today, and where do you see this movement going? Do you have do you have a lot of hope, and uh, how 
how fast do you think we can get to the place where plant-based nutrition is a little bit more mainstream and people are more aware and less scared of it and maybe it 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 it, it uh we begin to utilize it more in our healthcare and where where do you see this movement going well you know i would say that what i see actually is a gradual population level transition rather than necessarily um, a huge explosion in people becoming vegan. We do have an increase in veganism for sure, the general population, a slight increase. Um, and we are seeing particularly among younger people. So millennials are much more likely to be vegan than um, older uh, people in America or in Canada. But uh, rather than um, a huge explosion in veganism, what we're seeing is across um, our populations, people are choosing meat less often and they're choosing uh, to drink milk less often, dairy milk. So um, I think people are interested, plant-based eating is very trendy. Um, people are interested in alternative protein sources. And I think we're going to see that industry continuing to grow. Um, you know, uh, things like the Beyond Burger, for example, um, and um, so we'll see these alternative meats, I think, becoming more popular. And all these things just make it easier for people to decrease their consumption of animal products. And I think that is the trend we will see. People tend to decrease consumption of animal products, increase consumption of plants, not necessarily a huge increase in veganism in a radically quick way. But I think what we will see is um, year on year, Slight increases in veganism at a population level, but continued more dramatic increases in plant intake and decreases in animal protein, uh, decreases in animal product uh, intake. Mm-hmm. And uh, being as well-traveled uh, as you are and engaged in a uh, plant-based movement in both United States and Canada, are there any differences that stand out to you between the two countries? There are more products available in the U.S. Um, you know, increasingly, uh, vegans can really find almost any product uh, that that uh, non-vegans can find. There's almost always now a processed food vegan version of almost all foods. Um, but there's even more options in the U.S. This is both a blessing and a curse. Of course, it makes it easier for people to become <laughs> vegan. But then on the other hand, it also makes it um, perhaps a slightly less healthy option. Um, you know, if you're vegan for ethical reasons, then that doesn't matter to you probably. And uh, it's wonderful. And you're just thrilled to have all of these uh, um, vegan options available. If you're vegan for uh, health reasons predominantly, then um, you may not uh, want to choose so many of these more processed options. But yes, in the US, there are. Um, more options than uh, what we have in Canada. We have a lot of options here, but um, you know it's harder to find some of the brands, and uh, we don't have all of the brands that uh, you have in the U.S. But I'd say, other than that, there aren't a lot of differences. The movement um, is very international, actually, and I think, um, especially through social media, we're doing a great job of sharing ideas and recipes and content. Um, across uh, the border so there's not there's I don't think there are huge differences now mm-hmm. 
I find it so interesting. I, there were many people from Canada that uh, lost Peapod conference. I mean, there were many people in general. It was the biggest Peapod so far. I think it was definitely more than 300, maybe 350, 400 people mm-hmm. at conference. Yeah. It was amazing to see that that kind of numbers, uh, sheer numbers and excitement around that. So it was, yeah, it was really great to connect with like-minded people. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I know that you work with people um, online as well, uh, helping them to uh, manage weight loss or chronic conditions and help with any digest- the digestion issues and healthy eating. And then you work with both individuals and families. And uh, are people, uh, do people have to be close to you in Canada or can uh, U.S. residents work with you as well through online sources? No, that's fine. People can definitely book with me online at my website. So you can see all my availability there and be able to book online. And I work with clients from across Canada and from the U.S. as well. That is amazing. So uh, check out, it's PamelaFerguson.com and I'll include the link uh, in the podcast notes as well. And uh, what is next for you in terms of traveling or speaking engagements or I don't know if you have many, any, any books or uh, programs coming out? Do you have anything on the horizon? Well, um, actually, we've just made a huge move within our family. We've moved across Canada uh, and we've just been in our new home for about a month. So right at the moment, we're just focusing on getting everyone settled in here. And (laughs) I'm working on establishing uh, my practice here in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. So right now, that's our main focus. I don't have uh, a speaking engagement lined up right now, but I am just submitting a proposal this week to speak at Dietitians of Canada conference um, next year. So hopefully that will be successful. And if I am successful, I will be speaking um, with another vegan dietitian about raising healthy vegan babies and children. Oh, that sounds amazing. Well, congratulations on your move. I can only imagine with whole family and four children and moving across the whole country. It's probably quite an adventure. I imagine there's a lot of boxes involved in that. There are a lot of boxes. We were just moving a lot of boxes today, actually. Yes. (laughs) Well, I want to be respectful of your time. So um, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you want to mention before I uh, ask my final question? No, that's fine. Go ahead. Uh, I always like to finish with question uh, of kindness and kind of what is your definition of kindness and how do you get to intentionally live it in your daily life? I think kindness really comes from putting others before ourselves. And I think we need to look at our own, um, our own egos and recognize that um, we need to look at the people who are around us our family members, our friends, um, our community members, and to consider their needs, not only to be considering our own needs. And I think as we are able to meet the needs of others and show love, that that also brings peace and love and joy back to us. But I think we need to include animals within that circle of compassion and the environment as well. Um, So when I think of being kind, I think of putting the needs of others before my own. That is beautiful. Widening the circle of compassion. I love it. That's right. 
Well, thank you so much, Pamela. I'm so grateful that we were able to connect. Uh, I'm, I'm beyond excited that I was able to meet you in person at the PewPot conference. You were my hero before we even met in person. Uh, and I'm so grateful that uh, we had a chance to chat today. Um, I, I'm sure you probably have a lot on your plate uh, after moving and between the clients and with just having a family with four children. So thank you so, so much for uh, sharing your wisdom and your experience with me today and i hope we'll continue um our partnership and uh, working in the future as well that sounds wonderful thank you so much <laughs> thank you for more information you can go to followyourkind.com or follow me on instagram at kind christina please also subscribe to the show and give me a good review thanks for stopping by